<laughs> a southern copperhead. Well, now that we got that conversation all out of the way. Yeah. Well, tonight we're going to do kind of a uh, standalone topic before we get into our next study that we'll start next week. Um, I'll tell you what I'm not going to do, just so you don't get concerned when I bring up where I'm headed, okay? The whole national anthem fervor kind of got me thinking this week, okay? We're not going to talk about that. So... Because, you know, I'm sure everybody's got opinions about it all, and, and I certainly have opinions myself. But it did get me thinking, because I was watching all the scrambling that was going on over the weekend. Because I think all these NFL teams kind of got called out, and they had to decide, what are we going to do now? And, um, you know, <laughs> what's interesting about the issue to me is that I think one of the things that concern these teams is fracturing their locker room. You know what I mean by that? Uh, the idea that, that their locker room would get divided if everybody just did their own thing or it started because, you know, when, when you get – it's one thing when a protest is going on and you just kind of ignore it or you, you're the person doing it. But now the whole thing gets blown up and – so they got this concern, and, and, and I'm not saying it's the only concern, but I could see this idea there that, okay, now what are we going to do to keep team unity? Now, why do you think those guys cared so much about that? Money? Okay, but, but what's the bottom line, though, before you get to the money? Okay, it's a team sport, right? So if you fracture a locker room, when I say fracture a locker room, I'm talking about divide it, okay? If you, get, if you get people with heated opinions about an issue and you make, they didn't want politics coming into their locker rooms, not because of their high moral, you know, status and because of their deep convictions about things, but because what do they know about it? I mean, let's face it, what do people tell us are the things that you shouldn't ever really discuss with people Religion and politics, right? Why do you think we get we throw those two things out as the two things that you shouldn't discuss? Because they can be the most heated, the most divisive. So they didn't want that coming in. They didn't want it coming in because they're afraid. Because what's the ultimate thing that happens to them if their locker room gets divided? They're gonna. It's gonna possibly cost them games, which cost them money. So you can always follow it to the money. <laughs> yeah, steal it. there was a lot of weird games on Sunday, wasn't there? But here's the thing that got me thinking. You know, um, when it comes to this arena of unity, the church should really be the ones that understand what that's all about. We should really be the ones that that know what it takes to make that happen. Now, here's, here's the reality of this particular uh, issue that's going on in the world that got brought to the forefront this last weekend. I mean, it's been going on, but it got really brought up to the forefront. They're not going to find common ground on it. People are still going to be divided on it. And and it's funny to me when I listen to people talk about these kind of things, when, when somebody makes a statement that disagrees with them, they're being divisive. Now, my protest wasn't divisive, but your statement's divisive. And, and so we think, 
they're divisive, we don't think what? I'm divisive. So it, there's, it's, it's just the heart of man is where the issue lies. And so there's going to be, you know, trying to fix it the way people try to fix it many times. Uh, it's just, you know, we, we try to make a public um, statement about something that takes a whole lot more work than that to fix. And so, uh, you know, it can be one of those things that just goes on and on. And I think, unfortunately, it's actually gotten worse because of all the stuff that people do. But within the church, you know, this idea of unity, unfortunately, sometimes I heard a guy talking, uh, I think it was Chuck Swindoll was talking about a church that he wasn't in, but it was a, it was a church close by him when he was a young pastor. And the church had so much infighting going on within the church, okay, that they actually had to call the police to be in the services to keep fights from breaking out. Now, is that amazing? <coughs> Two church members that were in a knife fight? Okay. So it can get it can get really ugly within the church, which it shouldn't be. Uh, but there's a scripture in Psalms, <coughs> excuse me, Psalms 133, verse 1 says this. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. And, and when you hear the terms good and pleasant, what do you think of? Peace, okay? Don't you kind of get the feeling, okay, that's how it should be. Is there, is there anything you've experienced and you thought, ah, oh, that's just how it should be? You know, it could be, you could you could sit down, you needed a, a break and you went to the beach or wherever you go for that kind of relaxation and you, you sit down and you listen to the waves crash and you're, you're relaxed and you go, ah, oh, this is good. This is how it should be. It's like something that refreshes you, something that's good. Well, he's saying, listen, when, when brethren, and, and the idea is not just men here, okay, when, when people that are, that are tied together dwell in unity, it's what? It's really good. It's really good. And not just because you're a team and you can, you can accomplish your goal, but because it's really how you're made to be. It's how things are made to be. Now, if we look at that and we say, well, if that's true, the opposite is also true, right? Which would be this, how miserable and frustrating it is when strife and contention are in your midst. Would you agree with that statement? Now, which one would you choose? <coughs> and you don't have to give in, right? <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that true of us, though? We say, I would choose unity. Absolutely. That feels really good. But... When we choose it, we have to choose it by, our, by what we do, right? We can't just choose it by saying, okay, I want that end result. Now, I want to do whatever I want to get there, but I want the end result. So there's some things that, that have to be done uh, in order to get there. Now, in the book of James, James is talking about just this whole interpersonal relationship issue. And in James chapter 3, verse 16, he says this. He says, where jealousy and selfish ambition exist... There will be disorder, and some of your translations will say confusion, and every vile practice. That is a powerful passage right there. Where jealousy 
and selfish ambition exists. So that means I am interested in me. Would you agree with that? That when you talk about jealousy, what's what's jealousy about? So I want something. You've got it. You know, it's uh, you. I'm jealous of what you have. And so we're jealousy and selfish ambition. What's selfish ambition? It's kind of self-explanatory, right? I I'm wanting what's best for me. You know, I'm going to do whatever it takes to accomplish what's good for me. <clears throat> so he says, whatever where that exists, there's disorder in every vile practice. So what it opens the door to is all kinds of bad stuff, right? So we don't want those things in our life. Would you agree? Now, when Jesus, uh, if you've read John 17, you know it's one of the, the only times we have a long prayer that Jesus prayed recorded. And it's an amazing prayer if you if you take time to read it and go over it. Uh, it's one of those things that you could go over and over and, and still glean a lot from. But in, in John chapter 17, this is what Jesus prayed in verse 22. It says this, The glory that you have given me, so Jesus is speaking to his Father, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. Now when you talk about oneness, you're talking about unity, right? That's the idea behind oneness, that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you love me. Now, what do you think he means when he says, the glory that you have given me, I have given them? What, what do you think the glory is that he's talking about? Okay, so the things that he did when he was on the earth, all right? Does anybody remember the, the passage in Exodus where, where Moses said to God, show me your glory? And he said, okay, I'm going to make my goodness pass before you. And when, when God did that, more than what he saw, what's important was what God said. And he declared things about himself, the Lord, the Lord, abounding in mercy and so he started talking about his attributes. So when we talk about the glory of the Lord, we're talking about his character, his moral excellence, uh, who he is. Okay, when we see, when we behold his glory, it's not just like, okay, somebody saw God's light, and so we saw his glory. No, we saw who he is. We saw that he's holy. We saw that he's pure. We know who he is, and therefore we see his glory. So when Jesus says, the glory that you've given me, what's he talking about? He was a perfect reflection of God, right? So if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So then, he's, then he turns around and he says, the glory that you've given me, I've done what? I've given them. So through the Holy Spirit, through the fruits of the Holy Spirit, he's at work in our life building character, right? He's at work in our life changing us, transforming us. And so here's what's what's interesting to me is that he's saying, I gave them this glory that they may be one as we are one. So what's going to help us with this whole idea of unity? The character of Christ at work in us, right? So the more he's at work changing us, the more what? I have unity to maintain unity. I mean, why is it not just normal and natural and easy to maintain unity? Because what? 
we think we're right. We have to give. Okay? We're all very different and selfish. Why is marriage such a challenge? Because you take two people, just two, right? Just two, not a group. Just two. And you try to do what? Make them one. And that can be tough, can't it? Because you got two different wills, you got two different ways of doing things, you got two different ways of seeing things. You have a male and a female that are very different, and you're going to bring all that together. Now, does God still expect it to happen? Absolutely. So that means he's going to give us the ability to do that. Now, here's an interesting thing, too, that I think is important. That in verse 23, Jesus did let us know there's a process here, because he said, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one. So what I hear when I hear those words is there's something he's working us toward. So it's encouraging to me to know that he's aware of the process and we got to be aware of the process because let's, let's be honest. It's not easy to do that. Is it? It's not easy in a marriage to do it. I mean, you can be married 20, 30 years and still be working on this, right? In fact, you might feel like after 20 or 30 years, you're further away from it than when you started sometimes, but you're, you're working towards it. So there's this process that's going on. Now, uh, here's the thing that, that I think is really important. One of the greatest aids to unity, because of what we just said, is that ability to lay aside our selfish ambition. If we're going to learn how to be one, <clears throat> what do we have to do? We have to take our selfish ambition, and we have to do what with it? <laughs> Throw it out the window. Why is that hard for us? Because we want to be in control. We want to make sure we take care of ourselves, right? Because what's one of our greatest fears? Being taken advantage of, somebody running over us, not paying attention to our needs, not caring about us. And if you've come from a background where that's happened to you, where you've either been abused or mistreated or taken advantage of, it can even be harder, right? Because you've got some experience that's telling you, you can't do that. You can't let people take advantage of you. So it's really tough for us, but one of the greatest aids to, to unity is to lay aside our selfish ambition. Now, when it comes to this whole idea of self-interest, um, if we lay aside ours, whose interest do we then pick up? Because we won't just have no interest at all. So if we say, okay, I'm going to lay aside my ambition, my selfishness, then then whose cause, who's, who are we going to, who's, what are we going to take up? Who are we going to care about? Who are we going to do for? Hmm? Gods, okay. What about each other? Do we do that? Okay, so here's the, here's the thing in, in, 1 Corinthians, Paul's talking about the whole idea of, of food offered to idols. And he's taking the Corinthians through this whole uh, explanation of why it's not good for them to eat food offered to idols and how it affects their brother and, and, and all the things that he says in that dissertation, which we're not going to go into. But he says that, that all of us should seek uh, not his own good, but the good of others. Now, what can happen over time 
when you decide, okay, I'm going to lay aside my self-interest and I'm going to only do what's in other people's best interest. What, what's possible to happen over time? Uh, no. I mean, well, when I, what do you mean by any people? When you're looking at other people and you're saying, I want to take on their, their best interest. Well, we're, we're talking under the context of, of Psalm 133 where it talks about brethren. So let's just assume we're talking. Now, this could stretch outside of this. But as a general rule, because we're talking about unity in the church, we're talking about other believers. Okay, so we'll we'll narrow it down to that for this particular example. So what happens if I take on your cause and I say I'm gonna I'm gonna do what's in their best interest? Every time I turn around, we're looking to do something that's in all of your best interest. Okay. Okay, and, and I, w I would love that if that was totally what happened. Is it possible that at some point I go, I'm getting tired of doing this? Is that possible? Because sometimes people don't always look out for your best interest, even when you're looking out for theirs. Huh? Okay, it's possible because of the same issues that sometimes drive us. That, and the reason I'm bringing that out is not to, not to put a negative on that because I do think that that is the goal. Okay, that's the goal, to, to be able to do that. But I also think if we try to do that just on that level, it's going to be, it's going to be hard to do because we're doing it with other people. But now if we take that principle and we put it under a different umbrella and, and kind of make it a subcategory, um, Think about it this way. What about if we took our self-interest and laid it aside, and instead of just picking up the interest of others, we picked up the interest of Christ? If we said, okay, what's in his best interest? I was always doing what was in Christ's best interest of other Christians. If I was always doing what was in Christ's best interest, remember the whole goal is unity, if I'm laying aside my self-interest and doing what's in his best interest, How's that going to affect, in, in kind of like a trickle-down effect, his people? <clears throat> well, we'll get to exactly why that is in just a second. Okay, so if I'm wanting to do what's in his best interest, and he cares about you, then what am I going to do? I'm going to care about you, right? I'll be doing what's in other people's best interest, but... But not just because it's just this way, because if it's just this way, eventually I'm going to be looking for some, you know, you got to be responding somehow. But if I'm doing it this way and then it's going that way, then I'm going to him first. His best interest is what's primary for me. Okay. So if his best interest is always primary, and that's what I'm always after, then my neighbor gets affected in a positive way. Okay. Now, let's, let's think for just a minute about the principle of that. Uh, in 1 Corinthians, just so we have some, some scripture to kind of back up what we're talking about here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, you know, the Corinthian church had a lot of different issues, right? Uh, they had a lot of things that we, we gained a lot of insight into how God wants them dealt with because they, they did that. Uh, 
very early in First Corinthians, in chapter 1, verse 10, Paul begins to address some problems that they started to have there. And he says this, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it's been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. Uh, what I mean is this, is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, which was Peter, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? So Paul's saying, look, there's a problem in your midst, and this problem is you guys are looking at your own best interests, and you're saying, you know what? I like the way Peter speaks. Or Apollos is a great orator. And I just love listening to Apollos. I'm following Apollos. I'm going to I'm a disciple of Apollos. And some people are like, "Well, Paul, he's the guy, you know. Paul is the one that is just, you know, he's persecuted for Christ. He's standing for the gospel in hard places and, and I love Paul." And so they're divided because they're separating under this idea that, "Well, I'm after I'm I like that guy. I like this guy. Well, I like that guy better." And so, you know, it seems like a petty thing, right? But isn't that what most things are that divide They're petty things. They're just small things. So Paul points out and he says, look, who died for you? Was it me? Because if you're following after me, you've missed it. You've missed the whole point. And so he starts to point out some things to him. And, and we're not going to read the whole thing that he goes into. But we're going to jump over to chapter 3 after he gives a big explanation about the gospel and, and what it all entails. In chapter 3, though, in verse 1, he says this, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. And even now you're not ready, for you're still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? So he's saying this, he's saying, look, you're acting just like everybody else does. You know, when you're an infant, when you're young, what do infants do? They eat, they sleep, and you know the other part. <clears throat> and if they don't get what they want, what do they do? Because they only know one thing, take care of me. They don't have a, any bigger perspective than that. That's their whole world. That's the way they are. One of the signs of maturity, though, is when, <coughs> when you're not just taking care of you, when you're starting to be able to do what? Sacrifice and take care of someone else, right? Isn't that what parenting is all about? When you become a parent yourself, you switch from parenting forces you to be unselfish to a degree now you can still be a bad parent and be selfish but if you're going to be a good parent what do you have to be unselfish you give of yourself all the time you give of yourself. that's just part of parenting that's just what you do so paul says look you're infants you're, you're young uh, you're not what you should be at this point because you're still jealousy you got jealousy among you you got all these divisions among you and part of their issue was 
They were focusing on the individual they were following. And Paul says, look, you follow Christ. So remember, we're still talking about unity. So when it comes to unity, if I don't get the idea that I lay, if I just lay down my life, if I just give of myself, I'm going to get tired of giving of myself. If I just try to look at your best interest, I'm going to probably get tired in that area too. But if somehow I, I, I go to the overarching thing and I say, okay, this is all about Jesus. You see, the reason the church should be unified more than any other group on the earth is not because we're just smarter, better, just just we have the personalities it takes. Because we don't, right? In that respect, we're just like everybody else. But because we've dedicated our life to Christ, that's the difference. That's the difference maker. Now, in First in Corinthians chapter 12, Paul is talking about the body of Christ. And, and we're not going to read again that whole arena of what he's talking about because he's talking about the different members and their importance. And this is what he says in verse 12, though. He says this, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews, Greeks, slaves, or free, and all are made to, to drink of one spirit. So he's saying here, Look, there's one body and it has many members. Okay? When we refer to the church, what's the other term that we use? We use we call it also the body of Christ, right? The body of who? Christ. Okay? So that means we have identified with Christ in a way that and, and this talks about uh, this whole idea of being members of the body and this it's one body. It says, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. No matter what our background was, when we came to Christ, we identified with him. We were put into his body. We were joined to his body. So now my identification is not me anymore. It's not my life. It's not my past, not my history, not my well-being, not my future. It's his. Okay? Because we're his body. So therefore, when we look at each other, what do we see? Another member of his body, another part of his body, another person that's of the same thinking as I am. We've given ourselves to him. We're looking for what's in his best interest. Now let's jump over to Ephesians chapter 4. Remember, back to the whole idea of unity. Paul says in verse 1, I, therefore, the pris a prisoner of the Lord, for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. So this whole idea of worthy, we've talked about it before. It's, it's this term that they use for scales. So if you, if you had a scale, you wanted it to equal, right? So he says, walk in a way that's equal to the calling to which you've been called. So our life should match up with what we believe. Our life should be equal to the calling that's been given to us. And then he explains what that means in verse 2. He says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. So humility, that's, that's part of giving of yourself, right? That's putting yourself in the back seat. Okay? Gentleness, again, if you're, if you're not demanding your own way, insisting on your own way, that's a part of that as well. And, and patience and bearing with one another. And if you're going to get along with anybody, you've got to be patient, right? 
because everybody will test that at some point. I don't know anybody who doesn't test another person's patience at some point. And then he says in verse 3, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit, because there is, verse 4, there is one body, one Spirit, just as you've been called, and one hope uh, that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in you all. So how many times did you hear one there? You'd have to give you the number, a bunch, right? One, one, one. What does that tell us about God? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Okay, he's not divided. He doesn't He doesn't work that way. He's not divided. So if we're going to be in him, guess what we have to be? Undivided. We have to be unified. We have to take our will, our purposes, sit them aside, pick up his. Pick up what he wants. Pick up what he's about. And then he says to be eager to maintain that unity. What do you think that looks like in everyday life? <clears throat> Hard? <laughs> okay. You side. What, what do you feel inside when somebody disagrees with you or somebody crosses you or you feel somebody slights you or you feel somebody ignores you or you, you know, you could, the list could go on. Frustration, a division, a separation, eager to maintain the unity. That's the natural response, okay? If you're eager to maintain the unity of the body, what, what do you do first? When something comes up, what do you recognize? Okay. Okay. I recognize what's happening inside of me. I see something going on right now. Now I got a choice. I got a choice. I can do what's in my best interest right here. And, and there's a lot of things that could be, right? Or I could consider what's in Christ's best interest. What's in the best interest of his body? And when I look out, among other believers, I'm going to say this is the body. So what's in their best interest? What do I do in order to preserve unity? Not fracture it, preserve it. I want to keep it. Now, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that, that we just never talk about problems. We never confront issues. We never do anything that rocks the boat. Because Paul, you know, in Ephesians 4 there, is talking about speaking the truth in love. So there are certainly times where you have to confront things, you have to deal with things. Uh, but if everybody works to the same end of laying down their will under the subjection of Christ, <coughs> if everybody considers, you know what, I want to do what's in the best interest of the body of Christ, then everybody's working to that same end. That's where the unity comes from. Now, how many of you feel like this is a really tall order? That's true. You're right. <laughs> okay. And and you're you're absolutely right. That is the challenge. That is the challenge. But here's here's what I think makes the difference in that. And that's the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Because 
you know, we've all been raised in families, and, and, and I've said this many times, and I absolutely believe this. Every one of our families has dysfunction in it. Takes on a lot of different shapes and fashions. Some of the same shapes and fashions. Some of it we'd sit down and talk to each other and we'd talk about the issues in our families and we go, yeah, I know exactly what that's like. And, and drama or whatever it is. And then sometimes it'd be, it'll take different shapes. But it's, it's there in some fashion. There's no perfect families. But it's learning how to go, okay, I'm not going to do what's instinctive to me. Because what I, what's become instinctive to me is probably not the right thing. So I want something else to become instinctive to me. I want to first and foremost consider what's best for the body of Christ. How do I preserve the health and unity of the body of Christ? What's the best way to do that? Now, sometimes that means having to talk to somebody about something. Sometimes it means being quiet. Sometimes it means giving something 24 hours before I speak or I respond or I do. Uh, that I find is a huge help sometimes when you just don't immediately respond to what you feel. But whatever it is, it's about discovering, okay, Christ is the center. This is all about him. And, and sometimes in our world today, we are, are so driven by our own self-interest. And, and even in church today, you know, we try... We try really hard because we're, we want people to come in the church. We want people to join the church, be a part of the church. So, so you know, we don't want to be offensive to people. We don't want to be, uh, you know, pushing people away. But at the same time, what we got to realize is neither can we can't cater to everybody's things because there's too many of them. And so if people don't come to the point where they're they're more concerned about Christ, more concerned about him being the head of the church, more concerned about their lives being submitted to him, then you're always going to have that problem. So unity, is it valuable? It is. It's really valuable. It's really valuable. Can you and I be a part of making it happen? Absolutely we can. We can. And you might think, well, I can't control everything. And you can't control everything that goes on. But you can you can have a say in what your part is. And so sometimes that, let's, let's take it real practical here as we kind of bring this to an, an end here. Sometimes it's just as simple as not repeating something that I could repeat. Sometimes it's just as simple as giving somebody grace who responds in a way to you and you go, you know what, maybe they've just had a really bad day today. And so if I give them grace, and, and this goes no further than me and them, it just dies out. It's, it's just simple stuff sometimes of just deciding, you know what, I'm just going to make a choice. I'm going to make a choice that's in, my, in the best interest of Christ because I'm a part of his body. I'm in him. And, and you know, the world can try really hard to, to unify and, you know, how many of you have seen the bumper stickers that say coexist? That stuff doesn't really work all that well at all. But the church should be the model. The church should be the example. Because if there's ever a group that can come together under one thing, it should be people that, that believe that Jesus died for them and that their life is in him. And, and that we can really, truly do that. 
And, and sometimes we have to guard things, like, like for instance, things that go on in our world. Uh, political elections can be a time where the church can get pulled into all that. And, and not that we don't have opinions about those things, but what do we do with all that stuff? We decide, you know what, I got an opinion about that, but ultimately Christ is first. Before I'm an American, I'm a Christian. I love living in America, and I appreciate everything about it, but Christ is first. He's, he's first and foremost, and everything else is secondary, and so whatever it takes to promote him and his kingdom, that's what I want to do. And the idea of unity is something that we don't talk a ton about in the church because it's really hard to do. And, uh, and you know, I don't know, there may be other reasons we don't talk about it, but let's, let's start to decide, you know what, I want to make a practice of this. I want to be eager to do this. I want to look for ways to be a person that creates it. Not, not just a person who's not creating division, but a person who's actually fostering unity. Do you think that's possible? What might be a few things, uh, and we'll end with this tonight, that you can do or that I can do, that we can do, that foster unity? Think about it. If sometimes what I say negatively can bring division, what can I do that fosters unity? Okay, I can find ways to build people up, right? What does it do to you if if I come in and I say, I just want to tell you, I appreciate this about you. How do you feel about that? Do you go, Psh. I knew you'd always be trying to do that kind of stuff. Butter me up. You probably want to say something. You, you're probably trying to trick me or something. You don't think that, do you? No? You appreciate it, right? You're like, that made me feel good. And you know what you're inclined to do if somebody does that to you? Turn around and do the same thing because what do you what what clicks in your brain? That made me feel good. And so I want to turn around and do that. Now the the opposite, if somebody comes in and, and rails at you, hits you hard with some junk, you know, the old thing that you, you know, something happens and then the dog ends up getting kicked because you know it just kind of went down the chain well <clears throat> that's true too you know somebody does something like that to me and puts me in a grumpy mood i turn around i don't know how many times i've come home and i've said something to somebody in my family and it wasn't really because of what they did it was because of something i carried home with me so if we if we move the other direction intentionally okay i'm going to say something to somebody while I'm here, that's going to build them up. Okay, what else? Any other ideas? <coughs> Be patient with people. Okay, so patience. What what does that mean? When you feel that uh, I want to push, I want to I want to make them do something. Slow down, relax. What about giving people grace? You know. You know, everybody has a bad day. And, and if you have one, what do you hope everybody does for you? Give me a lot of grace. You know, don't judge me based on that one instance. Don't write me off based on my attitude because that happened that day. Give me some grace. Give me some mercy. You know, we, we should do that with each other. 
We should do that all the time with each other. Anything else? Okay. You know, we we sometimes in our world we we just take everything so personally. I mean, I look at I look at stuff I hear in the news all the time and I'm like why do people have to get so offended so easily? I mean, are words really that strong? I mean, they are to a degree, but it just doesn't seem like it fits all the time. So, you know, sometimes you just decide, okay, if somebody didn't speak to me when they walked by, I'm not going to go home from church thinking, what's wrong with them? Why do they do that? What's, they don't like me anymore. And, and I'm going to draw this whole thing off of just a thought. You know, that pops into my head. Or even if they were rude to me, like we talked about the grace, I just don't take it personal. I just go, you know what? There must be something else going on. Something I don't even know about. I'm just going to assume that and move on. I'm not going not gonna to take it personal. I'm not going to take every little thing and carry it and let it become a chip on my shoulder. Anything else? Those are all good things. <clears throat> All right. Sometimes, you know, something gets said and you got a choice. Does it stop here or does it keep going? And if you're a person that's always a stop here, it gets buried with you instead of giving life, <laughs> then that that can go a long way. You know, you never know how many things you can shut down just by not being the conduit to take it to the next level. And and that can be hard too. I don't know what it is about us that we like to throw out a little piece of juicy gossip sometimes. Maybe it's because it makes us feel better about ourselves if we, we put somebody else a little lower than us. That's not a good thing, but we can dump it. We can just bury it right there. Anything else? <laughs> yeah well you know when you're when you're doing something that's that's serving doesn't it help when somebody you know you don't do it for that reason but when somebody acknowledges it and says hey i appreciate it and, and sometimes we think it we just don't say it you know we we really do appreciate something somebody does but we just don't get around to saying it even in our own households a lot of times we take things for granted, and, and we don't get around to actually telling our spouse we appreciate things they do or telling our children uh, on those occasions when they do something that, that we really like, and we don't get around to saying, hey, I appreciate that you did that. So uh, words, words can go a long ways. You know, all those things, they all matter. And, and the church ought to be the place that just sets the pace of this whole idea of unity. And, and real stuff, not not just stuff that's just symbolism but real substance to it amen anything else anybody wants to throw into this area that's a very good point absolutely we miss sometimes what what's going on in somebody's life and and we and
and sometimes we do get so concerned with our own issues, our own problems, our own things, that, that we'll just lose sight of what's going on with other people. And, and one of the best things that you can do sometimes for yourself to get you out of a funk is to care about somebody else, think about somebody else. And so that's a good point because, you know, just being conscious and just making an effort to, to notice what's going on with people, to ask people. And then we didn't mention this, and this kind of just goes without saying that we do it, but, but praying for people, you know. And I don't mean just like praying for them and then not knowing you're praying for them, but actually praying for them. You know, actually sometimes, you know, rather than just, okay, I'm going to pray for you about that, but actually stop and pray, you know. Just really take a moment at that moment and pray for them. It's not always appropriate to do that with everybody in every situation, but there's a lot more times we could probably do it than we do. And just really pray for them. And because and and that means a lot to people when you pray for them. And especially when they hear you pray for them versus you're just doing it on your own. So all those things matter. You know, serving each other, looking for opportunities uh, to, to help someone become who God wants them to be and not just taking, thinking about ourselves. All those things matter. So let's, let's take, you know, something that's going on in the world. It's a mess and it's probably going to stay a mess for a while. But we could take something from it and remind ourselves, okay, the reason those people care about team is because they know something. They know, and I'm talking about the whole football incident, but it'll be any team sport really. They know something. They know unity comes from, you know, it's a unit. It's a unit. You've got a unit and you take something out of it, it's no longer a unit anymore. So they know in order to accomplish our goals, we got to stay tight. So they're really concerned about that. Well, there's a truth there that we should realize that for the church to be who it should be, we have to stay tight. We have to stay undivided. And, and we actually have the means to do that through Christ. Not just in, in symbolism, but in substance. We can actually do that. So let's make that effort. Let's be eager to do that. Amen. All right. Anybody have any prayer needs before we? Yes. Yes.